Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Surrounding Game Investing Podcast, where we bring in Go Concepts into the world of investing. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I, you know what? I, I, I really enjoyed our conversations about global politics as well as how that's investing uh, in in terms of our portfolio, what's going on globally, and I mean this all ties in with the game of Go, and, and Go is such a beautiful, beautiful game. Uh, I recommend anyone to just try it out. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it, there's a lot of tying. There's a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, Yes, one's a board game, but being able to really step back and see everything as a global picture, I think that is what's really going to be beneficial to anybody who's who's seeking to get better at the investing game. Uh, And so... That's just my two th- two cents for the morning thought. <laughs> I know we kind of went <laughs> in a little bit far, um, but what are we talking about today, Sean? <laughs> well, um, I thought we could keep talking about China. There's a lot okay. of uh, interesting stuff that mm-hmm. um, I learned. There's a great YouTube channel called Real Life Lore. Okay. And okay. they have some, they have really interesting videos on a lot of stuff, but especially, uh, you know, geopolitics international trade mm-hmm. and uh they have some interesting videos about china mm. um so one interesting thing they were talking about was the mekong river okay so china has three gigantic rivers that are critically important to uh everything they do there mm-hmm. um all three rivers initiate in the tibet region up in mm-hmm. the highlands there where uh, it's very snowy and very high. And so the water melts and flows down into Mm -hmm. the Yellow River, the Yangtze River, and the Mekong River. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, of the three, the Mekong River is the only one that goes out of China and into some other countries. It goes Mm -hmm. into uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. And um, there's been a lot of uh, international issues around this this river. all the countries nearby have been putting up a ton of dams around the river and its tributaries. Um, outside of China, there's only two dams on the main section of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and outside of China is the, the later part of the river that goes to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the river forms in Tibet, which is in China and goes through China and then exits. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Chinese part of the river, there's uh, something like 11 dams including two very gigantic dams mm-hmm. and they're planning to build more. I think they're planning to build like eight more or something. Wow. And yeah, mm-hmm. so this is causing some serious issues. Um, it is reducing the water flow mm-hmm. uh, to these other countries. And so it causes problems. Like for example, when the river exits to the sea, you know, there's a large Delta where the river kind of spreads out and then goes to the sea mm-hmm. and that's a really important area for um, fishing and agriculture. Yes. yes. And the pressure of the water going out makes it so that the Delta has fresh water mm-hmm. and it's pushing back the 
salty seawater that it's going into. Mm-hmm. But when they, uh, because they put up all these dams, that's reducing the pressure and the seawater comes up the delta. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it depends on the season, but it can uh, saltify as much as 90% of the delta mm-hmm. cause serious problems down there. Um, another issue is that the dams uh, in the lower countries are used to generate power. But of course, if some of those dams uh, at, occasionally will actually run dry because of the uh, amount of water that's being used upstream. And so mm-hmm. this means that they'll have power outages because they're not getting power from the dams. Mm-hmm. So they tried to form a consortium to sort of have a multinational governance of usage of water along the river, but China wouldn't join. Mm. So the other countries have teamed up, but they can't get China to really cooperate with them. And China, you know, doesn't disclose their plans. They're, they're very secretive about the whole thing. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty serious issue. Well, if you look at it from China's perspective, and again, I don't know the actual history between Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, the southern Asian countries below China, or to the south of China, um, it could be, uh, because I I do recall that um, the leadership of China is trying to initiate the rejuvenation of, 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 what is it, China itself, where they're trying to recombine China as one whole country again um and that's one of their big things currently i think that's going on right now and so they could be playing and again this is just speculation at this point i really don't know and i'm just thinking well if china's goal is to reunify china again like all their parts and combining it again then what they're they could be doing is that they could be playing the leverage card where it's like hey you know we have the water if you guys want to know what our plans are uh you might have to reunify with us and then we'll disclose our plans to you and they could be playing that game at least uh in relation to their long-term goal again i don't know if uh those countries were part of china at one point in the past but if they were and they became independent from China itself, then that could be one of the reasons why China is playing hardball with them. I don't know. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And just, you know, from a business perspective, I know that uh, Vietnam is a place that other countries like to outsource to. Well, they're Um, currently doing that now. And so Vietnam is prospering because now they're becoming a producing country. And so, yeah, because, you know, there was a lot of outsourcing to China, but when you outsource, one of the things you're doing is uh, looking for cheap labor. And once you start employing a bunch of people in the country, the mm-hmm. price of labor there goes up. Mm-hmm. And so people will then move on to another place with cheap labor. And so mm-hmm. now you have Vietnam and China, you know, probably wanting to have both influence, but also have... Um, good relations with vietnam uh because vietnam is a is a communist country as well Mm -hmm. um i get the impression that in some ways they're more communistic than china i mean china is a weird hybrid system i i I wouldn't know to be honest so both of them do capitalism so that's that's definitely but um they could uh so yeah there's definitely things going on there where china may be looking to Mm -hmm. have influence or um you know, 
yeah, just have influence on on those other countries. Mm-hmm. And I believe if we look at the the geographics again. I don't have the map in front of me, but Vietnam is outside of it, it has their own ports, right? So yes, and it's not it's not being surrounded by uh, the Polynesian islands. I don't think, or is it? I can't recall the map off the top of my head. I think so. I think they are because Taiwan is a north. Is is it north of, of Vietnam? Let I believe see. so. Yeah, and I think okay. um, to, uh, Vietnam is surrounded or mostly surrounded by the South China Sea, mm-hmm. which is a sort of a disputed region. So a lot of the nearby countries of the south china sea actually claim some of the same parts of it mm-hmm. so there is actually sort of ocean territory conflict between mm-hmm. china and vietnam over parts of the south china yeah so so vietnam just looking at the map yeah it is surrounded by the south china sea which is right in the dead center of polynesia you know philippines malaysia etc so um i mean if you know, I, I I think China already controls those ports too. So, yeah. I, so China, so other countries dispute China's control of the South China Sea, but mm-hmm. they have been building a bunch of large military bases. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them actually taking dirt and forming islands wow. to build bases there. Mm-hmm. And China's basically in the long term asserting control of the South China Sea, but a lot of the nearby countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brunei, the Philippines, Vietnam, they actually have claims to parts of the South China Sea that China also claims, but mm-hmm. they are weaker, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and this is part of where Taiwan enters into it is that Taiwan kind of caps off the top of the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. And so, um, having sort of, you know, allies of the West and Japan in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. is not ideal for controlling the south china sea if if china could take taiwan then they would have the south china sea fully surrounded mm. uh, very easily yeah and and you know in terms of just geopolitics yeah that that would be a nice advantage to have and they they could do a lot with that uh, especially when their closest neighbor, at least continent-wise, is Australia. So a lot of imports and exports could happen between the two countries in, in that area, in that region. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and there are uh, these alliances building up to try and counter uh, China. There's mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. Is, and the U.K. And, and Australia have created AUKUS. Mm. Um, and then... There's also this thing that they formed called the Quad, which is India, Japan, Australia, mm-hmm. and the United States. Mm-hmm. And so these are basically, they seem to me to be teams of countries that together mm-hmm. can withstand Chinese control and could put up some resistance in various ways. Yeah, it's it's looking, you know, if, if one was to put themselves in China's shoe, it, it feels very claustrophobic yes and and that i think is one of the big reasons why china is causing so much conflict now because you're pushing them to a corner and you know eventually something's gonna happen um but they're 
their modality is is try to avoid conflict and try to like in the past episode we talked about try to avoid conflict but build goodwill elsewhere so that we essentially build a door uh if they're back into a corner they're building a door out so to speak metaphorically speaking if you look historically, you can see that other countries that felt surrounded and claustrophobic mm-hmm. and lashed out, mm-hmm. and it didn't work out for them. You know, no. that's kind of how World War One started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a common scenario. Mm-hmm. Now, another interesting um, video I saw on that real life floor channel talked about the Strait of Malacca. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know a small strait that goes past um, past Singapore. It's mm-hmm. 1.5 miles wide. Mm-hmm. and uh two-thirds of china's total trade goes through that strait 40 mm. percent of japan's total trade goes through that strait mm-hmm. um and on the other side of it is the indian ocean where the u.s has a pretty strong naval presence and they could pretty much just blockade the strait whenever they feel like it mm-hmm. um so that definitely contributes to china's claustrophobia if mm-hmm. it was blocked off then you're the only other options to go around there you could try and go through some of the other islands of indonesia mm-hmm. but those are easily blockadable as well mm-hmm. and uh otherwise you have to go all the way around australia which yeah. is huge um yeah i mean longer time longer travel more expenses and more risk of you know weathering and ship maintenance and all of that so yep now, due Money. to climate change, mm-hmm. uh, one interesting thing is happening is that uh, up in the polar ice caps in the north, they're melting mm. and actually opening up a sea route above Russia <laughs> where Chinese ships could actually sail up into the Arctic Circle and then go to Europe Wow, that way. <laughs> and this is, um, this is something that Russia has been gearing up for and preparing for and, and mm-hmm. China might be gearing up for it as well. Well, I mean, if, if that trade route, the unfortunate trade route opening up, I mean, in terms of global climate, um, if that trade route opens up, that that's a big game changer for Russia and China. Yep. I mean, now they can export freely to the rest of the world uh, rather than being confined in the Malacan Strait. So, so given all that, um, what do you think about business investing in china are there any businesses that seem interesting to you at the time currently right now uh i do have an eye on some chinese companies and this is just i i and this is just my personal opinion i i believe that you know for us to be a global economy and to really you know develop the the overall relationship of the the globe in essence there has to be a win-win situation so this is on the assumption that we will have a win-win situation for both sides okay um Mm -hmm. i'm just more comfortable with that uh, hypothesis than other investors that's just my opinion um and so but i am taking a risk because there's always the off chance that my hypothesis is completely wrong and i lose everything so huge disclaimer right now um I'm just on a hypothesis. I believe that we will come to a solution of a win-win situation where both sides are going to help each other because we ultimately need to help each other um, in terms of progressing. So 
in terms of Chinese companies, because there's so much tension right now, as an investor, whenever there's a huge conflict or huge geopolitical tension, there's going to be a lot of emotions in the market. And so when there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of irrational behavior. And that could be a sign of very cheap discounted stocks, uh, companies in essence. And so I've been having my eye on um, a couple Chinese companies, some that's really well known and others that aren't. But one of the biggest one, and I'm just going to do another disclaimer, is I I am I do own these shares is Alibaba. Um, Alibaba has gone tremendous amounts of heat. China's cracking down on them due to security reasons. They're about to get delisted off the New York Stock Exchange. They're going through a lot of turmoil because you know a lot of American investors, U.S. investors, and European investors do not fully trust China anymore because of the geopolitical tension. With all of that being facts so far a lot of people are are selling uh during their ipo back in 2014 it was uh i think it was the ipo was uh, astronomically high where they were like a, a multi-billion to trillion dollar company or something outrageous like that and i, I think at the time they're trading roughly around maybe two three hundred dollars a share and now today they're trading less than $100 a share give or take okay and within the last uh within the year to date they've been bouncing between 70 to $140 a share so it's hugely fluctuative hugely volatile so this kind of signals to me that there's a lot of emotion going in the market right now on that specific company now with other companies like 10 cent um and Neo, uh, Tencent being the media company, I believe, and Neo being the electric car company, I'm not really looking into that uh, as much because I personally don't understand those companies too well. Uh, in terms of just business in general, um, I'm still trying to understand it, and it's just something that I don't fully get right now, and so I'm not really looking into them. Uh, we did hear about DD earlier this year uh, being delisted. So DD is no longer, I think DD is no longer listed uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. So there's a, there's a lot of issues. And with that, when you're looking at a Chinese company and under the assumption that we will eventually come to a consensus where it's a win-win situation for both sides or not a heavy lose-lose situation, at the end of the day, just look at the business in general. Look at the company. And, and this is just me being a, uh, analyzing a business as a company uh, with no biasm on either side. Uh, at least that's how I like to approach any type of business. And so based on all of that, if we look at it, right now Alibaba has, in my opinion, a, an incredibly huge how do I say it? Moat. And, and I think this is what the value investing community would say. It's it's a moat where they're so embedded in the uh, Chinese infrastructure that majority of their revenue comes from their own citizen. I believe it, it's like stupidly high, how, like 90% of their revenue or 85% of their revenue comes from their own citizens themselves. The other 15, 20% is from outside of china but alibaba has such a strong 
strong presence where they have over a billion active users or something like that globally. Okay. So if we look in terms of the population of the globe, we have roughly around eight ish, nine ish billion, I think. I don't know how many, but if you have 1 billion active users out of 7 billion, 8 billion, 9 billion, that's a huge percentage of the globe using Alibaba. Okay. So they're heavily, heavily, they're, uh, how do I say, it? not impacted, not imparted. What's that word I'm looking for? They're integrated. There we go. They're heavily integrated to a good majority of the population. Now, on top of that, not only are they a platform, and a lot of people would say that, oh, Alibaba is like eBay or Alibaba is like Amazon. If you really look at their business model, their business model is very simple. Keep business easy. That's their business model. So whatever business that you want to go into, their rule or their mission is to make it so simple that anybody can work with it. And when you make things very convenient, very simple, very easy, generally you're going to have a huge following. I mean, look at Google. Okay. And I read this in Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green. He talks about a story about about Google in the book where it took a very Zen approach, where it's a, a very simplistic, minimalistic approach. All Google is, is the word Google with a pill search box, a search box that looks like a pill. That's all Google is, <laughs> right? But people find that mm. so easy to use. Why is it that people use Google over Yahoo back in the day? Because Yahoo, not only did Yahoo have a search engine, but it had all these articles, these news that are flashing at you. And you just want to see something super, super simple, right? So that's Google. If you look at Apple and their products, why is it that people use more Apple products than Android? Well, Apple is incredibly simple. They're, they're very... It's to the point where anybody can use an Apple product. If you own an Apple product, you know how to work a phone, right? Because the phone, just push the app phone and type in the phone number, right? Android might be the same way, but apps itself, installing apps, looking at news, it's incredibly convenient for anybody to use. And so Alibaba's business model is that. Try to keep things as simple as possible. So based on that mission statement, and based on the culture itself, where they want to survive for the next 102 years, they're going to try to do everything that they can in their own power to make it easy, simple, affordable, etc. right, for their clientele. Now, again, under huge speculation and assumption that people are actually using this effectively and are having a good... Uh, you know, time with it and the data is correct. That says a lot, right? Mm -hmm. With that assumption. Now, if you look into their side conglomerate, like if you look at to what they own, they not only own a platform, they also own a good uh, chunk of the search engine. They own the media outlets. They've owned, uh, you know, uh, virtual markets as well as retail markets in store markets uh they have a food delivery system they are the gps uh, that a lot of chinese uh, citizen uses 
they are also a social media platform. They're also a cloud-based platform. So they are now becoming super, super well integrated into the economy, into China itself. Now, the downside, and as an investor, I always have to look at both sides. At least that's my philosophy. The downside is there's also competitors. They don't own WeChat. Tencent owns WeChat. And WeChat is the competing uh, social media platform in China right now. And a lot of individuals will use WeChat. They'll use the Tencent delivery system, etc. So we have two competing platforms. Now, which one is better? I don't know. Again, I don't understand Tencent too, too well, but I understand Alibaba has had a massive, massive success in being well integrated into China's infrastructure in general. Okay. Now, how does that tie in with today? And this is now going into more of a speculative realm. How's that integrated today is right now we're getting more and more into these semi-technology or semiconductor technology. Now that Alibaba is more integrated into the cloud system, they're doing a lot more with AI integration as well. So they're using a lot of AI power to deal with traffic. They're using a lot of AI power to deal with business models. They're using AI uh, for majority of these things, medicine development, you name it, it's, it's being started there. And with that, there's a lot of security regulation issues, which China is trying to iron out with Alibaba itself. But if they're able to be successful and they're able to provide the AI service, the computing power and all of that to their clientele, it's going to be massive in China, at least in my opinion. Is Tencent following that route? I don't know. But we are seeing a lot more manufacturing from Tesla, where they're trying to build more plants in Shanghai, China, etc. So China will have access to these plants as well. So whatever Elon's going to planning to do in terms of car development, uh, autonomous driving, whatever, China might be able to do something with that intellectual property wise. I don't know. Okay, huge speculation. But it's not far-fetched idea to think that they aren't going to take some inspiration from Tesla and build it into, uh, uh, what is it, Xpeng Auto Manufacturing, which is also owned by Alibaba, or they're they're having a, a good relationship with each other, which is the competitor to Neo, I think, right now in terms of electric autonomous driving. So, I see Alibaba being very interesting right now. Now, I've already purchased shares into it, and I'm long in Alibaba. Um, huge disclaimer again, and this is just based on that predication. Now, if you look at the financials and everything, they are growing. They've had a, a rough quarter uh, or a rough year this year just because you know the supply constraints and everything, but they aren't, they aren't declining. They're plateauing, right, in terms of revenue for the two quarters. Uh, this past year. So mm -hmm. that, again, in terms of a company, if you have huge economic tensions right now, huge geopolitical tensions, majority of the time, you're going to see a huge decline in revenue, just like what we see in NVIDIA. That's just like what we see in AMD, TSMC, Intel, whatever. We're seeing a huge decline in their revenue, their sales, right? But Alibaba at least based on their numbers, and we don't know if their numbers are actually true or not, it, the numbers are plateaued in essence, okay? And so that 
signifies or that tells me that this company has a very strong moat around it, at least in terms of their sales. Now, in terms of everything else, I still need to read into that because I'm in the process of reading to that and I don't know the fully updated situation just yet. But as, as the time of this recording, this is what I see. And so number wise, you know, it's up to individual investors to calculate their own numbers. But in terms of top line, bottom line, you know, they're doing pretty well in terms of cash uh, on hand, in terms of investments into artificial intelligence, in terms of just their overall presence. It seems pretty good. Now, invert, right? Charlie Munger always says invert, invert, invert. So what is the worst case scenario for American investors? In my opinion, worst case scenario is that the stock completely gets delisted. So if the stock is delisted, what are the options? Well, on investopedia.com, there are three options. Okay. But the one that really stands out is that if, if Alibaba can't get approval and can't get can't release and be transparent with their accounting or whatnot to the New York Stock Exchange or the Security and Exchange Commission, then they are going to get delisted. So if they get delisted, they will now no longer be uh, available on major exchanges, but over-the-counter exchanges. And in the -the over-the-counter exchanges, mostly institutional investors will no longer be present. Okay, Uh, That means it's not as liquid for American shareholders. And it could be a much harder time for American shareholders who owns it to have to be able to, you know, purchase more or sell more. It's no longer regulated. So there's could be other shenanigans involved. Now, mm-hmm. with that being said, what the, what Alibaba's trying to do is now become a primary listing on Hong Kong exchange. And if they are approved for the Hong Kong exchange, which is more stringent than the New York Stock Exchange, then there could be a extension in the grace period for Alibaba to get their act together so that the New York Stock Exchange can approve of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is that China completely just disband Alibaba and close out everything to investors. Now, is that plausible? Very little, in my opinion, because Alibaba is such a huge company and it's bringing in so much revenue to China that cutting them off from foreign investors is doing a disservice, especially if you're trying to spread you know, goodwill among neighboring countries, especially if you're trying to gain influence in other countries with your product. You know, it, it's going to do a huge disservice. So cutting Alibaba completely off from the rest of the world I don't know. Uh, I, I see that as a very low probability. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it's very low. And that's essentially my two cents in a nutshell. I know there's a lot more details involved. I'm currently trying to write up a document, but it's taken me a while to go through everything. I mean, the annual report itself is like 350 pages long. So <laughs> it's taking me a while to read through it. But yeah. And so, though, uh, to answer your question, Sean, I think, and again, I'm not trying to sound like Alibaba is the best company ever. I do want to say, again, I have shares in it, and this is my reasoning. But if somebody else finds a different reasoning that contradicts and it's more plausible than what I currently have, you know, that's a basis to reevaluate my position. And I am very open to that idea. 
uh, I'm not like a firm, firm thing, but in terms of my current hypothesis, this is what I see being most plausible. So. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a really interesting company. Um, yes. It, um, you know, the Chinese government has really set artificial intelligence as one of their mm-hmm. primary, um, you know, goals mm-hmm. in one of their national goals in terms of uh, developing capabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alibaba, according to one list, Alibaba was uh, listed as the fifth most important AI company in the world. Mm-hmm. So they're really an important contender in the future of AI. And that's something definitely strategically important to mm-hmm. uh, China. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's you know sometimes a good investment is just something that you know that a government is going to be pouring money into mm-hmm. um, or take an interest in um and certainly ai you know if, if a company does well in ai i mean that can unlock so many opportunities weird, yeah some crazy business models that some of us haven't even thought of you know yeah it, it's i mean just the power of neural networks in general i mean go was the biggest thing right uh for a lot of artificial intelligent program teams to solve and for them to just be able to really uh, have a neural network strong enough to beat the top top player in the world that is a huge huge success because to do a brute force method or a monte carlo type method uh, for the you programmers out there you know, it, it's it's a brute force and it takes a long time. And unfortunately, the variations in chess versus Go is 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 just astronomically high. It, it, it's so different in terms of variation. I mean, chess, there's a confined number of variations that can be solved. And we're able to solve it just using that Monte Carlo method, I believe. Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of Go itself, they the variations that you can have on go which is a 19 by 19 board with 361 intersections right the amount of variation is is hypothesized to be more than the amount of atoms in the universe and the the number of atoms in the universe is like 10 to the 87th power and the variation for go itself is 10 to the 174th power Mm -hmm. so it's 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 infinitely more variations in go and so for an ai program to have a strategic way to solve that it is phenomenal i mean it is yeah. just it, it's phenomenal it, it, that and that's just putting it so mildly i mean it, it's just because what it's doing is something that is more impossible human-like yeah than anything that has existed before because yeah. you know a, a computer can solve something completely like a math problem like uh like checkers yeah, the computer knows every possible move, and it knows exactly how to win every game of checkers, or at least get a draw if you play against it perfectly. Yeah. Um. In chess, uh, you know, I don't. I a, a computer has not completely solved chess, yeah. but if you took off, you know, maybe half the pieces, mm-hmm. a computer might be able to solve chess. A supercomputer, if you were running it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for, for days and days, it could possibly solve the entire game of chess. You know. If, mm-hmm. if you cut it in half or, or something like that yeah i know that for go if you play on a board that is five by five mm-hmm. uh computers have solved that mm-hmm. um 
So even what Go players consider to be a small game of nine by nine, mm-hmm. uh, that is still unsolved. And then, of course, a professional game is 19 by 19, which is right. just it's the possibilities are, are amazing, like it's, more than the stars in the universe or something. Yeah. Like that. And now, and this is going to go into my bio, biological side because, you know, I've worked with, you know, different types of molecules and enzymes and all of that. Now they're using AI to build and to uh, build molecules that could be effective in medicinal purposes because Mm -hmm. for a medicine to work in your body it has to interact with one of your neuroreceptors okay that's one of the main parts of how medication works like ibuprofen uh, advil acetaminophene tylenol they will interact with your receptors and each receptor which is an enzyme or it's okay I'm i'm gonna be very vague here it's like an enzyme will have a very specific actocyte or a a keyhole and you need to have a molecule that matches that keyhole to be able to work with that receptor. So now they, they've already built the keyhole, the structure of the keyhole. They know what the lock looks like. And so these AIs, at least from the last time I'm reading it, are theorizing different types of key structures that can fit in that lock. And the more that they're able to really fit into this lock, the more that we're able to synthesize, you know, theoretically medicine. And once we have a good percentage of success in a theoretical manner, then we can go into clinical development or, you know, lab development of that medication. And so they're using AIs for this purpose. And it's, it's amazing what AI can do now. Uh, and so for Alibaba to really develop their AI program, you could easily, uh, if they can make it strong enough to where they can really develop all these different types of medication, you're going to see them shooting through the pharmaceutical realm, biotechnology. Um, and again, this is huge speculation and huge assumption on my part. But So that's my two cents. But yeah, artificial intelligence, man big Mm -hmm. it's getting bigger and bigger and i can't wait to see how ai is fully integrated into the society i mean i think we're using them in traffic signaling now um again i don't know for sure if that's true or not i remember reading it somewhere but you know we're we're using it to manage traffic uh, especially during rush hour um i believe there are cars nowadays and i don't know if this is true or not but cars They've integrated some sort of programming in cars where the cars can actually time when you're going to have a green light. So it will calculate in each individual car how fast you should be going en route so that you hit every green light. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. I remember reading it somewhere and I saw something on it. But if that is true, that is amazing how far we've come. And -hmm. that's based on data gathering uh, GPS coordination and, you know, traffic, uh, evaluation and data and just, it, 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 it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. And we're using it for weathering too, uh, to predicting the weather. So, uh, but did I answer your question, Sean? <laughs> um, yeah, I think still, so. that is definitely I, I, a business to take a look at a business. Yeah. A huge tangent business too. And that's only if you're comfortable investing in China. 
again, there's a lot of assumptions to be made. And the biggest risk is I lose everything. And so, um, and it, it's also trying to separate yourself from what's going on geopolitically and just looking at it as a business itself, whether it's Chinese, American, European, whatever. It's looking at a business. Uh, I, there's no other opinions on that. So, or at least for me, there's no other <laughs> biasism or opinions on that. So, should we end it here today? Uh, yeah. All right. So, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Hopefully, the, this episode was also interesting to you. Um, again, huge disclaimer: things that we talked about on here is for you know education and entertainment purposes only. Uh, please do your own research. Uh, if you're planning to do any type of investment. And with that being said, uh, remember, with any investment, don't trade a dollar for a penny. So see everyone in the next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye.